0: Stem cell science is changing medicine and our understanding of human development. Learn more with the Stem Cell Channel. Visit uctv.tv slash stemcell. It's a pleasure to speak at the 2020 CIRM grantee meeting, and I should say before I start that all of the work that I'll present to you today... was funded by CERM over the last many years and would not have advanced to the point that I'll show you in the absence of that funding. And both stories uh, rely on a cellular reprogramming approach to address human forms of heart disease. And in both cases, we've leveraged cardiac developmental wor- networks to either uh, regenerate damaged hearts by reprogramming resident cardiac fibroblasts to cardiomyocyte-like cells, or to understand mechanisms of disease using human iPS cells and uh, then followed by drug discovery. In the first story, we have leveraged the fact that the human heart is made up half of actually cardiac fibroblast and less than half of myocytes. And the cardiac fibroblast are the ones that support cardiac muscle cells, but also are the ones that are activated to form scar tissue, as you see in this section of this heart here. And because the human heart and mammalian heart in general has very little, if any, capacity to regenerate, once cells are lost after damage, as you see here, uh, there's no capacity to regenerate. And so we, uh, over the years, attempted to reprogram these resident cardiac fibroblasts into new cardiomyocytes, right where they are in an effort to regenerate damaged hearts. And uh, to make a long story short, over the years, we were able to find that the combination of these three key developmental transcription factors, GATA4, TBX5, and MEF2C, were sufficient to reprogram uh, cardiac fibroblast into cardiomyocyte-like cells that we called induced cardiomyocytes or ICMs. And this was relatively inefficient in vitro on plastic, but could be done. Uh, But in vivo in mice, we found that this was quite efficient. And these resulting cells were most similar to adult ventricular heart cells. They could electrically couple with one another, which was key for improving cardiac output. And in fact, when measured by MRI, these mice did, in fact, have a significantly improved cardiac uh, function. This is an example of what those hearts look like after coronary ligation followed by a gene therapy mediated delivery of these three transcription factors. Uh, following, three months later, you, one can sacrifice the hearts. And if you look at the apex uh, cross-section around this level, you see abundant scar in the control, less so at the further up in the heart. And in comparison, mice treated with this gene therapy approach had abundant muscle, even at the apex, as you can see here. And we can fl- we have fluorescently labeled with a cre based system, the fibroblast, and can see that all of these are actually newly formed cardiomyocytes. We, of course, asked, can- will the same combination work in-, in human cardiac fibroblast? And it turns out that uh, in human cardiac fibroblast, replacing GATA4 with myocardin, a transcriptional coactivator for MEF2C, actually uh, was sufficient now to reprogram car- human cardiac fibroblast into cardiomyocyte-like cells. And you see an example of a beautifully reprogrammed cell here with these sarcomeres indicated with alpha, cardiac alpha-actinin. Uh, and, uh, and so we, this combination, we then tested in vivo uh, in pigs to see if they, which is, has a heart more similar to the size of humans, uh, where And in vitro, this combination also reprogrammed pig cardiac fibroblast. And using an AAV now a vector to deliver these three factors, uh, we injected these into pig hearts after coronary occlusion and co-injected them with a retrovirus uh, expressing DS-RED because a retrovirus will only infect dividing cells and myocytes don't divide. So it would allow us to mark the non-myocytes that were infected by virus, uh, sometimes co-infected with the AAV, uh, and then we can ask whether there are DS red positive cells that now have sarcomeres suggesting that these might be newly born cardiomyocytes. And you can see here in this uh, high magnification section that there are a number of uh, cells with beautiful sarcomeres that are also red. Uh, suggesting that these uh, may be newly reprogrammed cardiomyocytes. Uh, and you can see that a little bit more easily here with the, just the DS red channel in white. Uh, and so you can see that this is a fairly efficient reprogramming event in vivo. Uh, and uh, so this was very encouraging that we might be able to generate enough cardiomyocytes uh, to actually make a difference. And this is in the border zone of the uh, damaged area. And so with this uh, information, all, all supported by CERM, particularly the PIG translational studies, uh, we have uh, put this uh, technology into a startup company called Tenaya Therapeutics, that was launched with the 50 million Series A financing with the Column Group in 2016, followed by a Series B event uh, last year. And they are uh, advancing this towards clinical trials. And over the years, they have uh, refined the technology and the genetic material that would be delivered as well as a vector. And uh, I'll just show you one uh, slide from Tanaya, with their approval that shows you a cohort of pigs, around 10 pigs, either treated with the uh, gene therapy AV or control. Uh, and in blue, you can see that there's a marked improvement in the ejection fraction in these pigs, uh, compared to the controls in gray. And this degree of improvement of 11% absolute ejection fraction improvement is really quite significant and uh, cl- would be clinically meaningful, particularly for those who might be waiting for on a, on a transplant list uh, to potentially be able to avoid a need for a transplanted, transplanted heart. And so we're very excited about Tanaya pushing this forward and we continue to collaborate with them uh, to advance this technology. Now, in the uh, second story I wanted to share with you, as I mentioned, it's really one about uh, uh, understanding disease mechanism and doing drug discovery with uh, iPS cells. And this story relates to a family shown here where... This multi-generation family had a very common form of heart disease called calcification of the aortic valve that you, looks something like this, where the aortic valve becomes hard and calcified, requiring replacement surgically. And about a hundred thousand replacements are done a year just in the United States. So it's a very common disease. The etiology hasn't been known. Uh, and there's no currently no medical therapy. We do know that about a. Uh, in cases where people are born with a congenital anomaly, where there are only two leaflets instead of three in the aortic valve, like you see here, something we call a bicuspid aortic valve, uh, that about a third of those individuals will develop calcification as they age into their third, fourth, fifth, and sixth decades of life. And this congenital anomaly is actually the most congenital anomaly of all. It affects one to 2% of the population. It turns out this family had both bicuspid aortic valve and calcification as they got older, and it's caused by a heterozygous muta- loss of function mutation in the very well studied transcription factor, Notch 1. And so, having identified the genetic cause of this, we were able to use uh, isogenic CRISPR uh, t- uh, gene edited, uh, gene corrected uh, IPS cells from this family to deeply understand the mechanism and it turns out that what we found is that normally notch 1 which sits on the cell membrane is in a position to sense shear stress and its job is to normally repress osteogenic pathways uh, in the endothelial lining of the valve and and we know that the endothelial cells of the valve can transdifferentiate and become mesenchymal cells and go to the valve and and there that's where Uh, this notch is playing a role in preventing uh, this osteogenic fate. So essentially what we found is that in the setting of haploinsufficiency, uh, what happens is, is endothelial cells undergo more EMT, and become more osteogenic. So it's essentially a cellular reprogramming event from an endothelial cell to a more osteogenic-like cell. And this we were able to discover through a deep interrogation of these IPS-derived endothelial cells, as shown here, uh, that resulted in a deep understanding of the gene network that gets dysregulated. And it turns out that the network narrows down to three key transcription factors, soc S7, TCF4, and SMAD1 that are central players in, that then dysregulate a host of other genes uh, that results in this sulfate switch, if you will. And so that gave us the thought that maybe we could drug this process. And so we screened a, a library of 1,600 highly curated compounds. Uh, and instead of looking for one, two, or three outputs, we screened for 120 genes in the network that were dysregulated with each molecule. And we used a machine learning approach to classify cells as either normal or abnormal and asked what drugs might reclassify abnormal cells. And from this, we found six hits that actually had uh, resulted in this change in classification. Uh, I'm just showing you here how what this output looks like in blue. These blue dots are wild type cells, normal cells. Green dots are uh, what the machine learning algorithm classified as heterozygote cells. And in red are what the algorithm classified as either uh, normal or abnormal. Here you can see that most of the drugs do nothing. They still cluster with the green and so are still heterozygotes. However, you'll see that there are a few uh, red dots that are now clustering with the blue dots, and these are what our hits are, uh, suggestive of a drug that is shifting uh, this profile broadly. And so, uh, we have taken these, uh, six hits and tested them in vivo in a mouse model we generated where the, uh, by shortening the telomeres in notch one heterozygous mice to be more like human telomere length, we can actually recapitulate the human phenotype of a calcified and obstructed aortic valve. And so I'm showing you here by echocardiography in these mice, uh, the aortic valve peak velocity, which reflects the aortic valve stenosis, very similar as occurs to in humans. This is partially penetrant, but you see in the control, uh, a number of these mice have acceleration of the blood flow across the valve indicative of stenosis, both of the aortic valve and pulmonary valve. And one of the six drugs uh, shown here had a remarkably uh, remarkable effect in completely preventing uh. In a statistically significant way, aortic valve stenosis in the vast majority of mice, as you can see here, as well as preventing pulmonary valve stenosis. And uh, by histology, these uh, drugs, this drug also prevented thickening of the aortic valve and calcification of the aortic valve. So we think we've got a drug that we discovered in human iPS cells that uh, works in in iPS cells to change. Alter the dysregulation and works in vivo. Now, finally, we asked uh, would this drug also affect uh, those who don't have Notch 1 mutations as a cause? And to do this, we collected, we worked with the group in Russia who had collected primary aortic valve endothelial cells from explanted human aortic valve. Uh, uh, samples, either with uh, three-leaflet calcification or two-leaflet calcification. And we exposed all of these endothelial cells to the drug and then did RNA sequencing. And I'm just showing you here the most important result of the most important factors, these three sort of master transcription factors that we know are uh, causing the broad gene dysregulation. And in each case, uh, the, this drug restored the Uh, Corrected the upregulation seen in the disease valves, endothelial cells to normal, whether we're looking at SOC 7, TCF4, or SMAD1. And it didn't matter whether they're tricuspid or bicuspid valves. We saw the same things in the abnormal cells, and those were corrected by the drug. And so we're very excited that uh, through this approach, we actually have a potential drug candidate, which would be the first, that uh, works in mice and works in broader populations of human aortic valve cells. And we're considering now how to advance this uh, towards a clinical trial. So with that, I'll close and thank the members of my laboratory that contributed to this work, uh, including former lab members and our collaborators, and of course, our, our important funding from CIRM. Uh, and with that, I'll be happy to take questions at the end of this session.